Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Yeah. Welcome to another evening. Oh my gosh, it's horrible out there now. Uh, welcome to another episode of All About Wine. Did you get them hooked up? Wow. Who? Everybody. Yeah, we're all. Yeah, Facebook was delayed for some reason, but uh, they're oh, okay. showing connected now, so we're good. I'll good. get on the page real quick and make sure. But yeah, we should be. Blasting through on Facebook also. (laughs) All right. Well, to begin with, uh, the storm moving through here, and there's a big one. I mean, wind blowing and the thunder and lightning and everything, which sometimes is a precursor to me losing my power. And if it does happen, then Mike will be there, and then I'll call back in on landline. But either way, just a warning. That time of year, and I think Mike said something about storm around his area too so if you lose either one of us one of us will be here to to continue to talk to rudy who should be calling in pretty soon here our guest tonight is rudy marchesi i think is pronounced uh rudy marchesi it's the chairman of uh demeter demeter i'm not sure how that's pronounced either well i ask him association it's a biodynamics association and he is also the uh, winemaker for well, the well, I, I say winemaker. I don't know if he's actually the winemaker, or if he's what his title is, but uh, for um, Montenor, I think that's how that's pronounced too. Geez, I mean, you know, you, you got me at a disadvantage in all these names here. Montenor Estate. They're located in Forest Grove, Oregon, and so. You see there, I was was looking at another page there, 503, that should be him. We'll bring him on. (laughs) Hello, Rudy. Welcome to All About Wine. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It definitely is a pleasure. Uh, I was just telling on to our listeners here, we, we just started a couple minutes ago, that if you lose me, it's because I'm having a bad storm go through here right now. That doesn't mean that I will be lost, but if it does happen, Mike will be there, and then I'll get back in uh, as soon as I can. So if that, okay. if all of a sudden you're talking to me and I cut off, it's because of that. Uh, so well, number one question, how do you pronounce your last name? Marchese. Marchese, it's with a hard C. Okay. I, well, uh, like Chianti is a C-H, right? You know? Oh, that's Same true. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's very true. That's very true. And then another question, the pronunciation, is it Demeter or Demeter? Well, Demeter is the Greek goddess of, or, of uh, agriculture. And in Europe, they say Demeter. In the U.S., for some reason, we say Demeter. So we all use that Demeter pronunciation. Oh, say so. Demeter's is the the American version of it. So we can say Demeter. Yeah. Okay. I've always wondered yeah. on that. I mean, I've I've talked about the organization on past episodes of the show over the years, and I've talked about biodynamics on past episodes. But I've always wondered if I were saying that right. So I guess that I've always said uh, I've always said Demeter, and I guess it's Demeter, and it's probably a, a, the well, correct way to say it. You were right if, if you were in Germany. If you were in Germany, <laughs> you were right. It really doesn't matter to us. Oh, they say the matter in Germany, huh? Oh, well. Okay. Uh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> so, so okay, we got that out of the way. Um, so, welcome on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're able to join us. Now. I was really looking forward to talking to you. We've talked about biodynamics. And before we talk about the winery, I want to talk about biodynamics. Uh I've talked about biodynamics on the show before. Uh, in fact, I had a whole episode dedicated to biodynamics, explaining what it is and how it worked and all that. But that's been, oh, I don't know, what, Mike, five years ago now, I guess? Nope. It's been a while. Yeah, it, it has been a while. So I'm going to throw it to you, Rudy, and let you tell us about biodynamics and and what it involves, and how it got started at uh, Montanor Winery. Okay. Montanor State, well, I guess. Biodynamics in Montanor State. Biodynamics is, a, is a, a method of farming that was developed about 100 years ago. It'll be 100 years in 1924 to 2024. And um, it grew of um, problems farmers were having when they began to embrace uh, chemical fertilizers. And it's a very telling kind of situation for what we have today. What happened was at the end of World War I, there were a lot of munitions factories that closed, and uh, some German scientists, one in particular, von Liebig, uh, who had been studying nutrition of plants and other living things, understood that nitrogen was an important nutrient for plants and he figured out a way to convert these munitions factories into chemical fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizer oh. factories. So nitrogen fertilizer became very um, abundant and cheap at the end of World War I, and, um, and people started using it. It, was, it seemed like a panacea. But what happens when you use these chemical fertilizers is they, they tend to kill off microorganisms in the soil that give us what we could call our native or natural fertility. And the farmers started noticing that they had to use more and more of this fertilizer every year uh, and became alarmed when they saw the health and vitality of their plants and their farms kind of slowly degrading. So they went to see um, this gentleman named Rudolf Steiner, who was a philosopher and very bright, more than bright um, man, um, and a leader in, in the intellectual world in Germany at that time. And he um, came up with this method of farming and put on a six-day course on agriculture that laid out in specifics a way to 
get the kind of fertility you need and the healthy farm and the healthy plants by using materials that came from on and around your farm that were were helpful rather than would hurt the um, you know the the soil borne organisms and everything else. So that was the birth of biodynamic farming. It didn't have a name early on, but people started using it and found that it worked really well. And it's become an international uh, methodology now embraced all over the world. As the president of Demeter US, I have the great opportunity of going to Switzerland every year for the agricultural conference there and meeting farmers from all over the world that are using biodynamic practices with great results and uh, sometimes being able to turn semi-arid lands into fertile uh, food-producing lands. So it's, wow. it's pretty impressive. And, you know, mine is a very interesting thing because, as you know, it's probably the most highly scrutinized food product for quality, character, et cetera. And, um, and the thing about biodynamics, it's a, Steiner said that this is a method of farming that would improve the quality of food and that would improve the overall health of mankind. That was his, that was his notion. But it, us winemakers embrace it because we're all about quality. That's what we need to do is you know, make the best quality wine we possibly can. So I think that's the reason why it's been embraced by so many thousands of winemakers around the world. And in a way, biodynamics has, has been brought to the forefront of, of the public because of uh, the effect on wine making and wine growing. So that's kind of where we are today. Is biodynamics used as much in pieces like just to throw out names, potatoes or carrots or anything, as it is used in grapes? Sure. Uh, you know, we we get a lot of the notoriety in the grape world, but uh, if you go to Europe, the, the buying public in Europe rec- represents or recognizes that biodynamic products are very high quality, and it's kind of become the gold standard to find uh, Demeter certified products, and they they actually have a hard time getting enough products to fill the stores. Um, wow. And it's anything from vegetables to, to dairy products to cosmetics, uh, you name it. It's all kinds of things. Anything that you can grow, um, even meat products, um, that can be grown and produced biodynamically. And there's also, just like in winemaking, we have to meet certain standards to have our winery certified you know, in the processing of plants and meats and dairy products and all that, they have they have uh, biodynamic standards for that too. Is there different methods of biodynamic farming for fruits and vegetables than there is, say, for grapes? I mean, I like I said, I've talked about it, so I'm familiar. I mean, the, the different faces of the moon and the cow horns and all that. Do they do that with all plant and all biodynamic? Uh, farming yeah there are some basic uh, materials that we have and we use that we have at our tool chest for biodynamic farming and they're utilized on any crop you know like you mentioned the cow horn that we make a, a special compost out of cow manure uh, that's that's composted and cured in cow horns and that's sprayed on the ground right at the beginning of the growing season we make another one out of silica dust that we spray 
we make we mix with water and spray on the leaves. So it could be a vine, it could be corn or tomatoes or anything. Um, so it's it's universally applied. But mm-hmm. one thing that Steiner did say, well, he, many things he said, but one in particular that sticks with me is he encouraged us to be creative and to just not follow a cookbook recipe, but to try to understand how these things work and to apply them in a, in a creative way to our unique crops. So, so for winemaking, you know, we have certain a different schedule than you would have for carrots or something like that. And of course the outcomes are different. Um, you know, we're looking for particular outcomes where other products, they have different, you know, different quality standards that they're trying to adjust for. So um, there's some variation in application, but the materials are the same. Does the fact that grapes are turned into wine compromise any of the flavors as opposed to, say, a garden of carrots that are biodynamically grown that are fresh and, you know, you can taste it right away? I, I don't know about that. You know, it's it, it would seem like once you convert it to wine, you're losing something of the of the quality. Oh, uh, just the opposite, I think. Um, really? Yeah. You know, yeah. When you start with grape juice, you have this uh, this pool of of ingredients, if you will, in the grape juice, and then through the action of the yeast and also bacteria, if the wines are done ML. Um, there's this transformation that that kicks off this really advanced chemistry and creating other more interesting compounds or releasing compounds through the enzymatic action of the yeast that make the wine so much more flavorful and interesting than the grape juice. Uh, so you're just kind of setting the table by producing um, you know biodynamic grapes. You're setting the table for the production of all these other more interesting, more in, engaging compounds that happen during uh, and after fermentation. So I don't think you lose anything at all. As a matter of fact, you're enhancing it from my okay. perspective. Well, it just, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, a carrot is is fresh. Yeah. You're not doing anything to it. And I, I was always curious about the uh, biodynamic aspect of, of fermentation and all that. It, you know, does... Now I understand the uh, the method of biodynamics and all that, but when it gets into the winery itself, is there anything that's done differently than, say, in yeah. a organic vineyard or a, a, a sprayed vineyard? Well, it's not too differently than an organic vineyard. Um, you know, we're we're restricted from using what would be uh, chemical yeast nutrients and things like that. Um, same thing as, a, as an organic winery. Um, so in that sense, it's the same. We also, you know, we don't use harsh chemicals in cleaning our tanks and we use steam for cleaning the barrels and, you know, just, it's very gentle. There's a few other small things, um, no plastics. We can't let our wines be in contact with plastics. Uh, the kind of pumps that we use have to be very, very gentle. Um, and that's all part of the biodynamic standards. I think that, you know, you find with biodynamic producers, wine producers, where 
we're using the ambient yeast that we bring in from the vineyard. So in a way, we're growing our own yeast out in the vineyard, bringing it in, culturing it, and then adding that to the grapes to, uh, to start fermentation. So oh. there aren't a lot of outside influences that way. It's mostly, mostly coming from our farms. Oh, I didn't realize that you used the yeast from the from the vineyard. I, it's interesting there. Most yeah. of the stuff I've read, I've never brought that up, huh? But uh, the, you know, we we get samples. We get samples every you know at, at the end of the growing season to analyze the juice and see when it's ready for harvest. And at that time, we save that juice and we allow it to start fermenting in jugs uh, outside of the lab with the yeast that came in from the vineyard, and then we culture that and. If we like the smell and the way it acts, we add it to the tanks of wine and kick off the fermentations with that yeast that we collected from the vineyards. Oh wow! Oh, well, that's cool. I never yeah. realized that. Um, now the the difference that well, I know to be certified organic takes about five years. I think that's the certification process. How about biodynamic? How long does it take to get your certification for that? Well, three years for organic and three years for biodynamic in the United States. Oh, three years organic. What? Yeah, and you know we try to have many of our sort of basic standards and requirements align with organic, uh, just just because you know we like to get along with everybody. If we want, <laughs> we, we try to encourage both certification. We want people to be organic and biodynamic, so we we try to help everyone out that way. But three years is the time frame. You have to be free of any, you know, restricted chemical use and using the biodynamic preparations and composts to really get your uh, your health, vitality, fertility up uh, before you're certified. Isn't biodynamics, I've always thought it was a step further than organic, but the way you're talking, it's like, two different things, two different certifications that can be done at the same time? Yeah. What it is is um, in order to be, order, in order to qualify for biodynamic, you have to meet the organic standards. So that's, okay. that's kind of the baseline. Okay. So you can okay. be organic, and, and but then from there, you have to do all these other things. You have to start utilizing the biodynamic tools, if you will, the, the preparations and the composts and, the timing of these applications and, and of course, the, uh, you know, in the case of making wine, the, the standards for the winemaking as well. So it's a whole other level of activity on top of organic. That's what I've always thought. But we were just not talking. I was mm-hmm. getting a little confused about it. So, so you do – so actually you're looking at six years or so to become fully biodynamic in a vineyard. No, it's still three. You can do – you know, you can do it all in three years. Yeah. Oh, okay. But you have to be organic to be biodynamic because of all the stuff that organic takes, which is part of being biodynamic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't confuse you on my explanation there, I understand what you're saying. That's all right. Uh, um, so you are the... Uh, Chairman, CEO, what? Uh, not CEO, the the chairman of the. Yes, I'm chairman slash president of Demeter USA. Yeah. 
And is that now joined with Biodynamic Association? I received an email telling me that they have joined. Is that true? Not yet. We've been working on this for a year and a half now. I'm, I'm uh, on the committee that spearheads that. I work very closely with the chairman president of the BDA and their, their top staff. And we've been working for a year and a half, and we're getting very close to kind of getting down to the details of what it's going to take, you know, the legal structure, the governance structure, and all that. So we're hoping by the end of the year we will have this unification of those organizations and I think it'll be very, very positive to have one voice speaking for the biodynamic community and for all of us to be able to work together and help one another, you know, in education and promotion of our products and in uh, helping in the, in the really, you know, robust and, and uh, high-quality certification program that we need. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just almost there. Uh, yeah, well, like I said, I received an email. I, I signed up for uh Demeter a long time ago and I get their emails in. I just received yeah. this oh a couple of weeks ago I guess it's been now. And uh Yeah. Yeah, well it's oh it's been a month yeah, now. Wow. Our, our boards yeah our boards had a vote independently to do this. So when we did we sent out an announcement that we've all agreed to do it. So now you know the devil's in the details just getting it done. But we should be done by the end of the year I think. Oh, why was there two organizations promoting biodynamics anyway? That seems a little odd, silly. Mm. Well, they weren't doing the same thing. The, the oh. Biodynamic Association was really more about education, um, and, you know, and helping people to understand it and teaching people how to garden and farm and um, those aspects of it. Where Demeter was set up strictly as a certification agency. So oh. what we do at Demeter, someone wants to be certified, um, you know, instead of just talking the talk, they want to show their customer base that they're actually doing it so they get certification. We go out and we review all of their practices. We give them guidance uh, where they need it, and we, we do physical inspection of their farm every year and review of all their records, and then we, we – uh, assign them a certification, which is they can use the term biodynamic and they can use the Demeter logo on their products. But that's, it's pretty simple. Demeter is a certification agency where the B is more of an education, cultural uh, organization. Oh, association. Okay. You know, you become a, yeah. Yeah, so that, that explains. So then one organization will take care of everything. You know, which makes more sense right. if you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have, now, sure. Well, different, different departments, but it's one organization. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's, you know, better be good. Uh, I noticed, I, oh, gee, I guess it was last summer. Uh, wow. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but yeah. Last summer, I went out. I was going to do a show on biodynamic wines, and I went out searching for biodynamic wines. And I mm. noticed that the well, the stores that I went into, I would ask, "Do you have any biodynamic wines?" And many times I was answered with this puzzled look on their face, and I did uh -huh. a quick explanation, and they would say, "Yeah, well, we got them. They're over there." But nothing was ever on a bottle. In fact, I, I've got uh, the uh, Montenora State. 
bottle of Pinot Noir here, which I'm enjoying, by the way, and it is fantastic. But um, they oh, do you. have the – yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed. It, they do have the Demeter Biodynamic logo on it, which is yep. something that was almost impossible for me to find while I was out there. Uh, yeah, you know, there's only there, a – there's only about 200 certified wineries in the United States. And that's one of the things we're addressing with this unification of Demeter and the BDA is we want to create um, a program where we start making the consumers aware of what it means, the value of biodynamic farming and the value of the products so that we can sort of catch up to our European partners Right now, um, you know, most people don't know what it is. So it, yes. it doesn't have a lot of value. You know, it doesn't have a lot of value from a marketing point of view. It, you know, people get certified because they believe in it and they're, they're happy they do it and it, and it works and they want to kind of crow about it. But we want to take it one step further but give it economic value so that producers that do utilize this farming method um, – can get some response out of the, the consumer public. So there's a lot of work to be done there. You know, there's very little recognition of what the Demeter logo means. So we recognize there's a lot of work, but we, we know what we want to do. So Well, you know, even when I walk into wine stores and say, do you have biodynamic? And I get looked at like, you know, is, is that the name of a winery or something? And yeah, right. You know, you need to get them educated at that level, or else, it, and it just yeah. seems so odd that you know we don't. Well, have, you know, I, go on. One one really interesting thing about this whole COVID situation is that uh, you know prior to this, I'd fly around the country and see our our wholesale customers and you know talk to the salespeople at meetings and things like that. Of course, we don't do that now. And I've had the opportunity in, in, you know, since March, I've probably done 15 different uh, anywhere from a half hour to an hour and a half educational sessions on biodynamics for the entire sales team for, for you know, one particular state wholesaler or not. You know, so we've done some for consumers um, and I've had an opportunity to do a lot of educational outreach and it's, it's fun because it, when you when you put it in the context of wine, and you know these are all wine people that I'm talking to, it really resonates, and they get excited about it. And I'm, I'm hoping that they can go out and start spreading the word a little bit, and, and tell their retail customers and the shops about it, and uh, or the the consumers that we do this for will go into their shops and say, "Hey, I just learned about this thing called biodynamics. Can you get me any?" You know. So yeah, we're well. working on it. And you know that's that's a good thing that needs to be done. I'm, I've been talking about biodynamics now for quite a few years. It's, it's something. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, geez, I guess maybe we've been on since 2009. I think I first started to mention it in in, two, in 2012 or 2013, and so it's been something uh-huh. that yeah. You know, over the period of time, I've been bringing it up here and there, and I had full episodes of it and all that. But it, it just I tell people about it, but there's none to be found out there. And so, therefore, I think what it does is it's just, oh, that's interesting, and then it's forgotten. You can go out and you can find certified organic or 
sustainably yep. grown or certified grown and all these things. The biodynamics is just lost on the label. Well, you know, if, if people are really interesting, an easy thing to do um, is to go just go to the Demeter website and it gives a list of all the wine producers that are certified and uh, that, that helps. But mm. we're working on improving that for sure. It is available, all the wineries are available on the site now? Yeah, you know, it's broken down by category of um, of products, so wine is one of them, and you can look up and see who are certified, and um, oh. that that helps. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize that. I, you know, I've, DemeterUS.com. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll have to be sure to mention that, too. I also interviewed a biodynamic winery in... Where was it? Northern California. I can't think of the name of winery, Mike. If you get a moment, maybe you can remember that for us. But uh, I talked to him about biodynamic wines, and uh, he told everything he was doing, all that. But it was one of maybe three that I found that were actually promoting themselves as biodynamic. Again, this was five, six years ago when we first did this, but uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's because people don't know about it. It's not really right. embraced yet. Yeah, I think most people, most producers, growers and producers do it, you know, they just do it because they want to make better wine. They think this is a good way to go at it and it makes sense you know, from a quality, from an economic point of view, it makes sense once you've done the transition. And people aren't, they're not bragging about it. They're just trying to make better wine. And I think that's that's okay for now, but I think it's important for the consuming public to understand what this means because it's a very forward-thinking, you know, it's, it's the original regenerative form of agriculture. Like I said, it'll be 100 years since it got started in 2024. So this is something that, that is, has been proven to be uh, practical and to, to have great outcomes in terms of quality. And um, people need to know about it. So that's why we're, we're doing this unification and starting up this, this uh, program to just get the word out. I think your, your, your observations are spot on, that more people need to know about it. Is uh, the uh, new association, whatever, uh, what are you going to be called? Are you going to be called Demeter or your Biodynamic Association or Biodynamic? We just tried to make it super simple, so we're calling it the Biodynamic Demeter Association and keeping the BDA acronym just for sake oh. of uh, convenience. Simplicity. So, there you, but, go. you know, this is something that has happened on an international level, too. For, oh. for many, many years, the the educational portion was kept separate from the um, from the certification agency, and just in the last year or so, in, you know, they've been working on this for a number of years to get them uh, unified on an international level. So, you know, we felt the need for it, and when we saw that that was happening internationally, we figured, well, we we can't be too far off base here, so we started working <laughs> that way. So. <laughs> It, it makes a lot of sense. It does. Are you going to uh, start promoting biodynamics more? I mean, like big time? And, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. You know, I, I, maybe yeah, TV ads, but a- magazines and stuff like that? Well, certainly we want to get have a, a marketing and public relations campaign to get the awareness out there. And I, I'm not an expert in those fields. Uh, we'll hire somebody who, who knows how to do that stuff effectively. But it could be ads. It could be, um, you know, lots of podcasts. It could be who knows what. Um, yeah. But something in order to get get the awareness out and send a message. That's, that needs to be done. Now, I'm – I'm doing my share for you here. I'm, I've talked about you know Bob well, and Amish quite a bit. So uh, another question I, I have, which uh, oh, I'm you know it's it's part of why now you you, in fact Europe is flooded with biodynamic vineyards as opposed to United States, and it's just yep. uh, we're trailing so far behind when it comes to that in the wineries here. It's just yeah. it's amazing. Uh, the question yeah. about and I know you have your ties to the Montemonora State Winery, but the question about cost, is biodynamic mm-hmm. worth the extra cost that they seem to put on the bottles? The same with organic. It seems to cost more as opposed to regular farming. Well, um, there's two questions there. You know, the cost, is it relative to production costs or is it relative to the quality? Now I, I can't speak for other people because I don't look at their books, but I know, you know, I run the operation of Montanor and have since 2000, you know, so I understand what our numbers like. And once we got into the swing of things, you know, there was a transition period, but once we got established with organic and biodynamic, maybe five years in, uh, our farming costs were consistently 20 to 25% lower than our conventional neighbors. Wow. Um, and even, we were even saving thousands of dollars in the winery, not buying yeasts and ML bacteria and stuff like that, you know. So once you, you know, what happens is your vines get healthier and healthier. They start becoming more connected to the site that they're grown on. You get better expression of terroir. And they can fend off uh, disease in a better, more effectively. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, when you farm this way, you have to be actively engaged. You know, it's not like, you know, you're farming and you, you show up once a week and put some spray on and then you come back another week and do it again. You have to be out there and watching and looking and seeing what your vines are telling you and being responsive to that. You know, the old adage, the best fertilizer is the farmer's footprint. Well, that right. holds true in, in grape as well. And the part of the practice in biodynamics is developing a, a sensitivity to the health and, you know, and well-being of your vine. And when you develop that, it's a tremendous skill. It's extremely valuable. And you can go out there and understand what's going on and make adjustments in your programs and, and do things uh, proactively to keep to keep the ball rolling towards a healthy harvest. So there's a lot of side benefits that most people don't think about. Um, and, you know, there's a, a personal benefit. You become more, you have a better, you have become more engaged and have a relationship with your vineyard that I find personally very, very rewarding. You know, when you finally pull that fruit in at the end of the year and 
you watch it fermenting and you're tasting the incredible transformation out of the fermenter. It's extremely rewarding. You've been a part of it the whole way. What you're actually saying is that you, the grape growers out there who are listening, if you want to realize 20 to 25% more profit, then go biodynamic because it might not happen right away. But once you become in touch with your grapevines, it could give you more money in the long run. Yes, it can. And also, you know, if you're making growing grapes in the right regions, biodynamic grapes um, fetch a higher price, too, if, if they're certified. So that's on yeah. the other side of the, the equation. Yeah. Again, though, it's sad that it's not noted more on the bottles or something like that. Um, the um, Yep. You know, it's, it really is sad that it's, they don't let you know. Um I've been into Total Wines and Lucan's and a couple of other big ones that are around the country. And, and you know, it's just there's – they don't have a section for biodynamic, and, and it's just something right. that really needs, needs to be educated. Together. Right. We get lumped together, you know, with the, with organic. Now, our monster mm-hmm. wines are distributed in 40, 45 states or so. And it's interesting, you know, some people buy them because they are biodynamic, and some people don't really care. They just buy them because they like them. You know, so yeah. yeah. Kind of don't know why, but me. this is good. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad they are, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Montanora State. So you said you have been in, been doing the vineyard, been doing biodynamics since uh, 2000, 2001? 2000 is when we started converting to organic, and then in 2003, I, uh, I, you know, I had always had an interest in, in biodynamics, um, but I didn't really understand it well enough to feel like I could start doing it. So I found this course at a little college uh, in New York, and it was um, you do a three-day intensive, and then once a month for a year, and then a three-day intensive at the end. So I was able to schedule that in, and during that time I started, um, and that was 2003, 2004, that's when I started doing things at Montenor, and then when I finished the course we went whole hog, so to speak, and um, started doing everything we could to uh, to get the winery, the vineyards converted. So. And Montenor is, well, give me a little history of Montenor uh, Estates Winery. Okay, so Montador is one of the older wineries in, in Oregon. It was started, uh, planted in 1982, um, and it was a very big, uh, a large planting, started by one of the lumber families here, and uh, timber families here in Oregon. And uh, they built up a pretty good brand, and I got to know them. My oldest daughter, I had a winery in New Jersey, believe it or not. Oh, did you? Um, what was the Yeah. Alba Vineyard, A-L-B-A. And um, I was doing some work um, when my daughters were in college, working for a wholesale company in New Jersey just to pay for college tuition, you know. And Mm -hmm. um, my oldest daughter was going to school out here in Portland at Reed College, and I came out and visited her and started – I just recognized the the potential for Oregon, and that was, you know, early 90s. Oregon really hadn't hit the spotlight yet. But I started um, working and bringing Oregon wines back to the East Coast, 
and did that. And then in 1998, um, I left that work and I started working directly for the Montanor folks. And then I became president of Montanor. And then eventually in 2005, I bought the winery. Oh, so um, okay. it was kind of this interesting evolution. Yeah. So I ran it with my daughter um, for 10 years and we, we got national distribution. And that was, you know, when we did all the major conversions to biodynamics and, and uh, just changed the whole operation. And then five years ago, um, I teamed up with a guy and his son from Seattle because we started looking at the 21st century and we wanted to start expanding our vineyards. And um, I didn't have the capital for that, but I wanted to work with some people that had like-mindedness and, and could have wherewithal to do it. So I teamed up with them. So now I'm managing partner and we've, we've expanded. We have two new vineyards, uh, one both in the M Hall Carlton district, but in two different soil types. And uh, we're building a new winery and it's all, all pretty exciting. Wow, yeah. So you're expanding. Yeah. You, how many acres do you have now? Well, um, as of as of today, <laughs> we've been planting. Um, we we have about 180 plus at the home vineyard where the winery is and where the winery started, and then right. we have a 30 acre vineyard in the very western edge of the Yamhill Carlton district. They're, this is all in northern Willamette Valley, Oregon. And then um, we just bought 176 acres um, in the central part of the M Hill Carlton District. We planted 25 acres there. So whatever that is, you know, 230, no, something like that. Yeah, yeah, quite a, quite yeah, a few acres 240, there. 240. And then we'll continue uh, to plant that for the next year and get up about 100 acres on there. So. So you're going you're going to be close to 400 acres by the time you get everything done. Oh, it will be close to three anyway. Uh, but one of our things is we like to grow all of our own grapes. So, you know, we don't want to become really, really big. We just, you know, we want to be big enough that we have the economy of scale so we can keep our prices at a at a point where people can afford to buy our wine weekly if they want. And uh, and we also want to have control over the quality of the wine from the ground up. I feel that's very important. These new vineyards you're putting in, you're going to, obviously you're going to be going biodynamic and all those, but how long is it going to take? Three years for certification from the time they're producing? No, from the time you start farming it. So actually with a new vineyard, you get, you know, you get a small crop the third year and you get a mostly full crop the fourth year. So they'll right. be able to be certified from the first crop on. You know. Oh, oh, okay. So you don't have to, yeah. as long as you are doing it now. I I thought of something and I forgot it and I remembered it now. You said that you're checking people and checking vineyards and all that. And well, I'm I'm sure other farms and stuff, but since this is all about wine, we talk about wine. Uh, does people lose their certification very often? No, rarely, but you know, we do have an occasional situation where somebody just decides they want to use something that's not allowable um, or change their practices in ways that are not in alignment with the biodynamic standards. You know, we have a process for uh, giving them a warning, giving them an opportunity to change 
back you know, and, and, and rectify the situation. And we even have an appeals process. So you know, rarely, oh. but it has happened, we've pulled cases from some people, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, okay. So it, it they can lose certification if if they oh yeah decide to have well if they decide to change or if if it's a uh, you know, something they shouldn't be doing. Okay. Uh, your wines. I well, you mentioned earlier. I'm enjoy, I'm enjoying the uh, Reserve Pinot Noir right now. It is really fantastic. I, Oregon Pinot Noirs, to me, are better than most other, except maybe Argentina, and they come in hand-to-hand with Oregon. But this is really, really good. It's got, it, there, there's no acid that's going to tear you up. Like, you know, so many Pinot Noirs tend to be acidic. This one's very smooth. It's got some good Pinot Noir uh, Flavors. It's got a great Pinot Noir uh, aroma. It's just—it's a classic example of a Pinot Noir. And being biodynamic is just interesting. Uh, what do you think of it? I'm asking, Mark. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, oh, there you go. But the, yeah, it's just—it's really, really good. I just—I'm always looking for biodynamic, and like I said, I can never really find any that were. And this is a great example. Super. Well, thank you. That's the wine oh. that we make. Uh, it that a lot of times Pinot Noirs are made to be like vineyard designates or you know a representation of one place. That is from our home farm, and generally um, there's three blocks that we use the fruit from to go into that wine. But we also kind of leave the leave the door open to any other wines that come in from different parts of the vineyard that might be exceptional that year. So what we're looking for is kind of a portrait of the best of that vintage that represents, you know, our, 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 uh, our vineyard, our winery, you know, when we're in this very Northwestern corner of the Valley that just got a, a, an ABA approval, it's called the Tualatin Hills. And we have oh, unique yeah. soils up here. Yeah, very unique soils that are very young. They're, they were deposited maybe 14,000 years ago in the last ice age, windblown low soils. So they really have a, an impact on the character of the wine, and I think that wine showcases that with the very fine, dusty tannins. It, and, it really um, presents itself it, as a Pinot Noir nicely. It, mm-hmm. yeah. There's some nice elegance there. Yeah, there's uh, it's very good. I noticed you have quite a few Pinot Noirs on here, uh, and different vintages, of course, but yet different, uh, I guess, different vineyards and stuff. Uh, yeah. Why? Well, Pinot uh, is very so many. <laughs> yeah, Pinot is very interesting. It's probably the most expressive grape, um, in, in the sense that it expresses the character of the place where it's grown. And if you look at Burgundy, you know, you have this road that runs north-south through Burgundy, and every village has wines named after the village. And if you sit in a blind tasting, you're going you're gonna to realize they're all very distinctive. And that's what Pinot Noir does. It, it really expresses the character of the place where the grapes are grown. So we recognize that in Oregon. And uh, many of us make single vineyard Pinot Noirs where we feel the personality of that vineyard deserves, you know, a spotlight. 
Um, so we will have we have several single vineyard wines, and then we have our our everyday Willamette Valley blend that we that is our main wine in terms of volume, and that's what we're known for. But you know we have the reserve, which is kind of a, a, a blend of several vineyards, and then we have like our Graham's Block, our Parsons Ridge, uh, um, and Cataclysm, and occasionally we'll buy some fruit from neighbors and make a single vineyard out of that. So um, it, it, but that's, I think, what is intriguing for winemakers and working with Pinot Noir because it's so much about the vineyard site and the personalities of the different wines vary so much. It's exciting. I, I've talked about Pinot Noirs and how they all tend to be clones. Do you use one standard type of Pinot Noir or are they different clones on each of these? Well, you know, that's a great question because I see that um, the the industry is kind of coming full circle on that. When when Montador was first planted, there weren't really any clones available. And what what people did was they plant what what's called a, a masal selection from a, a specific region or a vineyard. So, for example, uh, in Oregon, two selections dominated all the plantings in the 70s and 80s and that was Pomar and Vadensville and what mm. happened is someone would go out in a vineyard in Pomar and just collect a whole bunch of cuttings you know literally yeah. and and then stick them in the ground and grow them and then graft them and then so you had it might have been a genetic mix but it all came from um, Pomar area and oh. Vadensville came from Switzerland so that was how it started. And then, you know, the, the University of Dijon started really drilling down and growing specific vines and analyzing them for uh, growth habits and, you know, um, cluster size and looseness of cluster. And then, then kind of checking out, you know, how is the color, how is the flavor, how do they perform in the winery. And when they found exceptional varieties, then they started numbering them and they become, became known as the clones. So ah. um, somewhere around in the 90s, late, late 80s, 90s, you know, it became it became the standard to select different clones. Um, I always kind of walked the line because I liked the, the, the complexity and I liked what the old Pomar selection gave us. But there, you know, triple seven, one one five, six six seven clones like that also contributed other characteristics. So we we like to mix them up out in the vineyard to give us greater complexity. But to, nowadays, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, what they recognize is that Pinot Noir mutates pretty readily, and it's adaptable to these places, you know, over a longer period of time. So if you right. select from Pomar or you select from, you know, Vol Romane or Clos Rougeau or Bone, you know, you're going to get slightly different genetics. So the new, the nur- you know, kind of the cutting edge nursery people in Europe are going in and making their own proprietary selections from these Grand Cru sites and then propagating them. So in our new vineyard, we have uh, so like a, a proprietary selection from Clos Rougeau another proprietary section from uh, Vol Romane area. So we're going to be planting some blocks of that along with um, the clones and some straight Pomar, like old-fashioned Pomar selection too. So 
you know, you want complexity and you want variation, I think, within the, the, the curb, curbstones of, of Pinot Noir. I think it makes so, it a more interesting one doing that. So what it does, each one of those uh, presents itself better in uh, an area or a flavor or an aroma or all that than another one does. Yeah. Yeah, some might have a lot more color and, you know, depth of flavor. Some might have just really bright mid-palate fruit, you know, um, and some might be spicy and so on and so forth. So you, you look you look to all those, and, you and of course, you're when you're planting, you're only guessing what's going to happen on your own site. But, you, you know, you right. make an educated guess, and you kind of put in a variety of – think about it as a variety of colors, you know, and that way when you go to make your painting – you have a lot of uh, material to work with, a broad range of color to paint that final glass of wine with. And so so you can blend it to come out and bring out something more than the other. Okay, very good. Uh, the I, yeah. I noticed a couple names here that I'm not familiar with the grapes and so definitely not familiar with the wine. Uh, actually, four, uh, three of them. Uh, Rosso Sesto, is that a, uh, your your blends on that? Is right. uh, Lagrain? I that sounds pronounced. Yeah. Well, we have two varieties on the property: uh, Toroldigo and Lagrain, and they're from up uh, the northern, uh, northeastern Italy in the Alto Adige, and um, they're very interesting varieties. And I, and I didn't realize this when I first uh, re- researched them and started working with them, but. Um, when they do DNA analysis on them, it turns out that Lagrine um, is a cross, a, you know, a wild cross from who knows how many hundreds of years ago, a cross of Pinot Noir and a parent of Syrah. Oh! And then, uh, yeah, right. It's really interesting. And when you look at, you know, the it, it looks like a big, long cluster of Syrah, and it has that sort of plummy quality and, and that purple, purple color of uh, Syrah, but it has some Pinot Noir-like characteristics. And then huh. Toroldigo also grows up in that area, and Toroldigo is a cross between um, Lagrine and uh, a local indigenous variety called Schiava. So um, they were two varieties I thought would do well in Oregon that were a little bit different. Um, and, you know, people come in our tasting room and they like to – they like try and four or five Pinot Noirs and then you give something completely different. They enjoy that too, you know? So, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, uh, those sound good. As, uh, I've never heard of those. It's, it's one of many grapes that wines are made from that you're not familiar with. Uh, yeah, they're pretty obscure, but they, they, they work well here in Oregon for us, so we're having fun with them. The Another thing I thought about organic too, and I just remembered to ask, is how does uh, not organic biodynamic? Sorry, how does biodynamic vineyards hold up to droughts and heat and all that? I mean, we're looking at that more and more. It seems like in the West. Uh, is, yeah. Yeah, that's the, one thing that really, uh, I think, where they really stand out. You know, we we deliberately work hard to build up the uh, the microbiome, if you will, in the, in the soil, all the microorganisms that that sometimes even interact with the vine physically and 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 create um, 
you know, create like a, a pseudo root system for the vines. I'm talking specifically about mycorrhizal fungi. But we also work a lot to get as much organic matter into the soil, which translates to humus, you know, as it, as it breaks down. And it's kind of like the spongy material in the, in the soil that can hold many times its weight in water and then release it very, very slowly over the course of the season, along with nutrients. So we find that in droughty years, you know, I can drive around and see that the lower leaves of our neighbor's vineyards are getting yellow, and you can see a little drought stress. And typically in our, in our fully mature vines, we don't see any of that drought stress. Uh, they seem to, to weather those kinds of conditions better. And that's something that uh, I hear from growers all over the world, that biodynamic uh, plants, vineyards, orchards, and whatnot, um, seem to be more resilient to change. So that's a, it's a plus oh. for us in these crazy, you know, changing weather times. So it does hold up well against it. That that good, you know. Yeah. It, I didn't expect that yeah. really. I, I noticed I'm going through some more of your wines here that you make. You have a, a quite a list of wines that you um, put, put out at the wine. You like that fun at the winery. <laughs> yeah, really. There's there's quite a few of them here. Uh, the uh, well, now the screen just oh, there it comes back. Uh, Frolic is a ice wine. How, you're you're doing an ice wine there? Well, we're not. We don't have weather for true ice wine, so we take right, um, but, Riesling and freeze it, and then press it out uh, like you do an ice wine. Oh, so, do you? Um, oh, okay. It's, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good a way to do one, it. You know, dessert wine. Yeah, that that sounds like it. And also, I noticed uh, you have a, a ruby here that is a port style. Yeah, I've always been a fan of ports. So for that, we we take uh, wine from our vineyard and send it off to a local distillery, and then mm-hmm. they turn it into brandy. And then we we make a wine um, in the same method that they use in Portugal for port but using Pinot Noir instead, and we make a Pinot Noir port. And uh, oh. we're not allowed to call it port. No. You regulations, you know. Yeah, i can call it Ruby. You can call it Ruby. Good idea. Something I've always asked, I, I've mentioned on the show, and when I had the winery, I used to get classes, and I used to ask the students to come back, come up with a new name for port, and for sherry since we can't use those names anymore right. and uh yeah it's just you know it's always fun to see what different wineries call it and and what what people come up with yeah. uh your your verjuice is it you pronounce it verjuice verjuice that Verjou. is verjuice okay well yeah, it means literally green juice in uh-huh. French. And what that where, where that came from was, you know, as you go through the vineyard, if your crop is too heavy um, and you need to thin out the crop, you take those underripe grape clusters and you press them out and you get this very high acid, uh, lower sugar um, grape juice. And in France, uh-huh. they have a tradition of that. You know, if you're a chef and you want to add some acid to a sauce or a dish, 
you're kind of limited because if you add vinegar, you get the vinegar flavor. If you add right. citrus, you're going to get the citrus flavor. But Verjus has a very, very mild kind of grapey flavor, and it just works really well um, in, in sauces and things like that. And it makes a great cocktail. It makes a great, um, you know, very, very refreshing non-alcoholic beverage if you mix it with seltzer water. And we find there's a lot of bartenders that buy it and use it for sours and things like that because, you know, it's pretty high in acid. And um, we just started doing I did it because it just bothered me to leave grapes on the ground when we do the thinning, you know. <laughs> but it really grew into something. So we make it every year and we sell it around. It's fun. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it's, it's great. It's... And, you know, if you're doing a salad dressing and, you, you know, you taste wines with your meal and you don't want a vinegar salad dressing to compete, it's, a, it's the perfect thing for salad dressings. Good idea. I like that. That's that's interesting. I've never heard of that before. That's uh, yeah. uh, something I'm going <laughs> to check into more. You have uh, quite a few whites there, too. Riesings, are those growing up there on your uh, vineyards, or you yeah. bring those in? Yeah. We have some We have some Riesling. Not a lot. We have about four or five acres. Um, old, you know, 35-year-old vineyards of Geisenheim wow. clones that really produce, produce some beautiful wines. Uh, Riesling was planted a lot, you know, 50, 40 years ago in Oregon, then it kind of fell out of favor. But now it's coming back in uh, where people recognize that you can make very, very high-quality white wines that age for decades. Some, right. You know, yeah. so um, we, we don't make a lot. We make a couple thousand cases a year. But, we, you know, we sell out every year. People really like them. I was just going to say probably a limited production since you're not doing it. So, you know, just a couple of thousand a year. Yep. Uh, the Gewürztraminer uh, yep. also, uh, that's unusual to see that being grown. That is a really tricky variety. It, the, the kind of the parameters of the weather and the vineyard conditions are very, very narrow to make high-quality Gewürz. Oftentimes, in order to get you know, all of the aromatics and the, the delicious ripe flavors, um, you have to be on a warmer site and and then you lose the acidity and you lose the freshness. And, uh, you know, it, it's really difficult. It needs to be in a cool but sunny place, which sounds, you know, contradictory. But if you think <laughs> about Alsace, it's right on the German border, but it's the sunniest place in France as the most days of sunshine. So, um, you know, we, we have a ideal spot over a lake where it gets this cool breeze every afternoon, but it's the Southern slope and gets a lot of sunshine. So we're able to get a lot of developed mature aromatics uh, and still maintain natural acidity. So I think it's a really nice wine. You know, again, it's a niche. You don't sell a lot of it, but uh, I love a a great site for it. I, oh, yeah. I'm always I'm always promoting it on the show here. Whenever I'm, you know, I tell people if you're looking for something that will go well with certain foods, whatever they happen to be, I mention it and I said try your Gewürztraminer. It's really an interesting wine. And another yeah. one, a Müller Thurgau. Uh, again, that surprises mm-hmm. me that you're growing that. Well, you know, when they they the folks that kind of started this industry 50 years ago. Uh, a lot of people thought Mueller Turgau would be just such a great um, variety to make a good everyday white wine. 
and there was so much of it planted. I mean, we had 36 acres of it planted here. It was wow. nuts. You know, we're down to about we're bound down to about 10. Uh, oh. <laughs> but it's a it's a cross between Riesling and um, I don't know if you know the Swiss grape Chasla that's no, grown around Lake Geneva. Well, uh, an offshoot of that. So it's a cross a cross between an offshoot of Chasla and uh, Riesling, and it's a really nice variety. It's really interesting. Makes a delicious white wine, and um, just again one of those niche things that not too many people know about. But we happen to have it when when I bought the winery, so we make it. And I'm, I'm sure that you probably sell all that every year too. I would guess that's. Yeah, a, we have a we have a, a strong following for that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. I've had Muletergau, and I I just really enjoy it. It's uh, it's a good mm-hmm. alternative to Riesling. Uh, if you're. Yep. Uh, you know, people people immediately think Riesling's is sweet, which obviously they're not, but people immediately think they are. Right. And, you know, you got into the Muted Thurgau, and it's, uh, it's a happy surprise for a lot of people. Yeah. So, you know. Um, Mike, you have any questions for Rudy here? Um, not really a question, but uh, you when you mentioned Alba Vineyards, I had to go back. Uh, and I just finished research because it, it's iTunes and everything. iTunes goes back now to 2013 because the name sounds uh-huh. familiar. I went to our website and listed and looked at the uh, previous guest. We had Alba Vineyards on the show when we were covering New Jersey, uh, located oh, in Milford, New Jersey. That was uh, June 16, 2011. And we covered, uh, we had them on the show. I'm not sure who it was. I, have to, I downloaded the episode just now. So, uh, but um, uh, we talked to uh, we talked to Alba and we talked to Heritage uh, Vineyards and Winery as well. So uh, that kind of, I was like, gosh, I've heard, I I've heard the it. Name and we, we've had, yeah, because you yeah. even in our promo, we, we did a promo last year. Yeah, uh, during our intro, you know, uh, Ron would announce like, uh, you know, oh, I really love our guests and stuff. And you said Alba Vineyards during that promo and then we had their quote on there and I, I can't find the quote but I was like I wonder who that was <laughs> but uh, yeah. that was uh, that was it so I've been uh, researching listening and, and trying to keep up to date on the, the scrolling here but uh, yeah it's been been very enjoyable uh, I did find the map by the way if anyone is interested in uh, looking up uh, certified uh, uh, wineries on the uh, Demeter website you can go to biodynamicfood.org and uh, that is the direct page to the uh, to the map, and you can uh, very nicely done. You can see what they do. There's um, um, what was it? I thought I saw livestock farms um, producers. There were there were different classifications that were shown on the map, but uh, very very well done, and it's and it's an easy reference to to use to to search for uh, certified uh, biodynamic wineries. So uh, yeah, very good resource. Thank you. That was it. Yeah, that's all I had. Yeah, I thought we had done uh Alba. I just you know, the name sounded familiar when you said that. I'm thinking, boy, I know that name. Was it because I was looking at it? You know, that, that's interesting. Yeah. I just got so, so were you yeah. there in two thousand eleven, Rudy? I started in in nineteen eighty two I started that winery and planted that vineyard and I left in two thousand five. Oh, so it was so it was who you, you sold it to that we talked to then. Okay. Right. It was probably probably my ex partner Tom Sharko that you talked to. 
Yeah, I, I don't recall right off hand. I'll have to go back and look it up and see. But oh, that was interesting. Uh, the uh, biodynamics, and uh, let's get back. Mike mentioned the map there. Also, if you go to Montemore, uh, Montenor, it's not more, it's Montenor.com, uh, M O N T I N O R E, Montenor.com. Click on the biodynamic heading on it, and there is a breakdown of what monthly things that are done for biodynamics. And like I said, I mentioned it in the past, but this breaks it down very well. So anybody out there is interested in that, you can see that. So uh, that's that's a good thing. Any Any other things you'd like to bring up here, Rudy, at the end? Um, I just encourage your listeners to be adventurous in their drinking. Try life with different things, different regions, different varieties. It just broadens their, their experience and pleasure, I think. That's Amen the to that. To send out. And that's yeah. something I preach all the time to them. Don't go back to your default wines. Grab something new. You know. So before we leave, give us uh, Montenor Estate. Information, uh, websites, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, contact information, phone numbers if they want to order, uh, web address, all that stuff. Well, sure. The web address is, is um, www.montenor.com. And um, I think I would know the phone number, but I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> Never call but we are, you know, yeah, we are um, fortunate that we're distributed in almost every state in the country. So you can go into shops no matter where you live and just ask for Montour. And we have a Pinot Noir that um, that I think is is over delivers. Our Willamette Valley Pinot is is everywhere all over the country. Uh, we call it our Red Cap Pinot, and um, you can find that. Um, in a lot of shops, restaurants, and of course you can order any of our wines on our website. There's a lot of good information on our website about our background, about biodynamics. We always try to up, update that. Um, and with my role at Demeter, I like to, to keep people informed. And we have a kind of a fun thing that shows you what happens during the course of the year in the vineyard and in the winery from a biodynamic perspective. So, so those things I think are, are interesting and useful for people to look at. And, and you know, if you, of course, you can order wine. Yeah. If anybody has any questions about biodynamics, too, I'm sure that Rudy would be more than happy to answer those questions. If you go to the Wine Reach website and let him know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I hope I'm not overstepping here, but I'm. You like to talk about it, so I'm sure no. you can answer the question for it. And so. Yeah, I mean, you can send you can send me a question at info at monster dot com. And uh, we'll get it. All. I'll also get the questions through the Demeter Association. They send me a lot of questions uh, that come up from from people that are curious. So I'm always happy to do that. What was that uh, address again? Um, Demeter is is uh, DemeterUS.com. I'm pretty sure. Demeter, Let me see. Okay. Let US. Me look it up. Yeah, yeah, that's uh... my. Yeah, I found that uh, Demeter-USA. Demeter- Demeter- USA. Yeah. 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 
Okay. Dot org. Okay. Yeah. So if you have yeah. any questions about biodynamic anyone out there, then uh, uh, let them know. I'm sure they would be happy to fill you in on it and let you know things that obviously I don't because I've learned a tremendous amount tonight. Uh, it was fantastic. So uh, that's good. Uh, okay. Well, I really, I really do appreciate you being on the show tonight. It was uh, very informative. I had a good time, and I, I learned a lot about it. And hope, and I'm sure the listeners did too. And so, uh, well, happy, I'm happy to come and talk with you. It was fun. And if in the future we want to talk more about biodynamics, I'm going to keep your address, your email address, handy because I may like to get you on the show again. And uh, sure, yeah. talk some more about the the biodynamics because I hope it's going to be a wave that's going to start catching on more and more. I it's uh, it's time has passed here in the states. It's over overseas. I mean, France has embraced it. It seems like, but we're just lagging behind. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll, up, yeah, um, I think. Um, uh, sorry, Go we're ahead. seeing a lot of interest. We're, lot of inquiries at Demeter. I think you're right that it's going to it's going to be big. Yeah, you, you mentioned so. uh, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned uh, the Demeter uh, Association back in 2014 um, September. Mentioned the association also in March uh, of 2014, and I, I think one of the stats that would have pulled up then was it was either 80. I think it was 82 certified wineries. Um, producers in the U.S. and and I remember you saying earlier that now there's uh, 200. So there is a it's growing um, s- slowly, but it's getting there. You know, it's uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah. I think back then you mentioned uh, Ron uh, during the show that it was uh, 82. I think is what I looked it up. So uh, back in 2014. So um, yeah, it's there's yeah. progress there, but uh, need to get some more. We're still lagging sure. behind the rest of the world. It seems like yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we will. We'll get there. Eventually, eventually we'll get there. And the, you know, and the key to it is to let people know what it is and, and and what's involved with it, and to see the the difference in the quality and stuff. And as long as we can continue doing that, I think it will continue to grow. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right. Good. <laughs> so excellent. Thank you, Rudy. I appreciate it. Have yourself a, a great evening, sure. and I will make a note to myself here that if biodynamics comes up again on the subject, I will be getting in touch. Yeah, absolutely. fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for having. You're welcome. Thank you for being on thanks the show. For being on. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Uh huh. You too. Now. Bye. Okay, and Rudy is gone. All right. Um, yeah, man, as soon as he said Alba, the first thing I thought of was that promo you did, uh, or I had, you know, some audio clips, and you said Alba Vineyard, and then they said something yeah. in the clip, and I thought, I, I, it, I have that. And, and I, you know, he said Alba, and I, I'm going, oh, I know that, I know that name. But yeah. my father was born and raised in a little town in Iowa called Albia. And so oh. I thought, well, Maybe that's what I was thinking of, but you know, I just uh, I I knew I didn't mm. heard it, you know. 
So, oh, that's cool. I talked to them. That's an, <laughs> all about wine gets all over the place, don't we? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I found all kinds of episodes and notes, and I thought, you know what? I fi- finally figured it out on Blog Talk Radio because it's not in the subject line, but I found them in, uh, under New Jersey. I'm like, ah, that's it. Uh-huh. Okay, they're in New Jersey. Uh-huh, there you go. And, uh, yeah, very cool. Um, yeah. Way back then. Wow. Way back so, then. So that was, uh, that was a good information. Uh, and, yeah. And this is your first time. Is this your first time actually trying biodynamic wine? Because you, that you I said know you, is biodynamic. Yes. Right. Hmm. Yeah. This I know this is biodynamic because it states it on the label. And, they, yeah. They yeah. got little little uh, Demeter biodynamic emblem and it said uh, and underneath that it actually says certified biodynamic so this is a actual biodynamic wine here and uh, I guess all of his wines are because he he does all the vineyards biodynamic so uh, Mm. all of Mars so if you are looking for a biodynamic wine like you said he ships to 40 what do you say 42 46 states Uh, I can pretty Mm. much tell you the ones that he doesn't ship to because they're ridiculous but uh, Montenor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Montenor, M O N T I N O R E, Montenor Estate, and on the front of the label on every one of them that I thumbed through here, where I was looking at all of them, they do a lot. Is a an M, and at the bottom of the M is roots, like roots coming out of a tree or vine or something. So, uh, very easy bottle to recognize. So. Montenor yeah. Estates, and they are certified biodynamic. So if anybody out there wants to try a biodynamic, and their prices range anywhere from, well, their Pinot Noirs I think were like you know sixteen dollars, eighteen something like that, and then on up to, uh, no, I'm sorry, not the Pinot Noirs, they're they're uh, Riesings, Riesings, and uh, some of their white for like fifteen, sixteen dollars, on up to. Seventy-five, eighty dollars for some of their Pinot Noirs. So, so they, mm. you know, got the whole gamut of prices there. So, but if you're looking for a biodynamic wine, then that's it. I know that's biodynamic. Yeah. Yeah, they do a lot so, of they do a lot of Pinot Noirs. That's for sure. I've seen a lot of those. They do. Um, yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. Um, so there we go. Very good. Oh, I was looking at that. Okay. Well, um, yeah. one of these days, hope to probably get some of that. Um, I wonder if they carry it locally. I don't know if they're. Uh, I, I like, don't know if they're in That site's supposed to have mm-hmm. a list of where they ship. Oh, but okay. I didn't see it anywhere. I was trying to thumb through it while we were talking, although it. Yeah, I, I can't give full attention to the side. I was trying to listen to him, but it, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. But I, yeah, I, I like, in the drop-down boxes, I'm not seeing. It. Also, Montenor, they have a great a year in biodynamics. Do your drop-down on uh, on biodynamics with a year in biodynamics, and there's really uh, a breakdown of each month and what they do. That's that's really interesting. I thought, but. Uh, Distributors, wine information, maybe distributors. Yeah, that's it. 
go over to trade and on distributors on their website and that tells you the list of distributors in each state who oh. who, dis- who distributes it and then okay. you can and then like Florida has Progress Wine Group then you can click on the website on that and it'll open up and let's see well as soon as it decides to open up menu let's drop down the menu purpose people portfolio and explore so I guess portfolio might be the one that you click on on that quite a few steps to get on there wine and spirits that's not it either tells different countries that they import from Oh, well, and not just wine, but all sorts of stuff. But he said there's something on there that tells you, you know, all the states. So I don't know. They have Florida on there, so I'm sure that is the way to do it, whatever state you're in. If you see the importer then mm-hmm. or the uh, distributor, then obviously they're in that state. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be. Uh, let's look at Utah and see. And right, Utah's not there, so this is probably a good way to look at it. But they do. They have Korea, Hong Kong. They ship to Denmark, Quebec, Japan. Uh, yeah. And then, then all the states they have listed. Yeah. So they even ship overseas. Wow. Oh, okay. So, wine, wine well. information. and so, okay, wine information on that site tells their logos and their style guide and vineyard maps. Oh boy, they really do have a comprehensive. <laughs> a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, really, they have a lot of stuff on their website here. Jeez. Yeah. So, oh, okay, well. <laughs> All right. I'll look at that later instead of talking about it on the air. Look it up, people. Look it up. Montanor yeah. Estate. Or just Montanor.com. And yep. there will be lots of stuff um, on there for you. Take a look at the wines and everything. Uh, some good, yeah, good yeah. Uh, pictures on there, too. Um, yeah, there are. Do you have anything uh, extra to uh, add to the show tonight, or we just want to pick uh, up uh, next not tonight. Next week, no guests. Uh, we'll start giving some information and things that's going on. Let's see what's in the calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget to step outside and look at the comet. Uh, you can see the comet from the Earth. When? Uh, every night uh, or every really? morning until I think this weekend. And then every evening you can see the comet. You can wow. look at the north. I think it's northwestern sky. And hmm. you can actually see the comet with the naked eye uh, better with wow. uh, binoculars or a telescope, but uh, you can actually see the comet. What is it? Uh, I can't think of the name of it right now, but uh, yeah, you can actually see comet. the comet. 13 hours ago, uh, Comet Neowise. That's in it, the, Neowise. Well, it's in, now it says it's in the, it's in the evening sky now. Oh, is it evening now? 13 okay. hours. Yeah. How to see it in the night skies. Okay, so yeah, like you said, it was in the night sky. It's either it's in the night skies now, and then uh, maybe, let's see when it, uh, oh, 
see it now because it will not be back for another 6,800 years. Yes, and it's, it, it'll be visible, I think, for like two more weeks or something like that. Wow. <laughs> um, mark your calendars if you miss it. The next occurrence is <laughs> 6,000. Every night, every night. Or if you're around in 6,300 years, you can see it again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah Neo, Neowise, uh, it's a uh, uh, a comet that uh, they, it went so close to the sun when it came around this time, they thought that it was going to dry out all the ice and stuff on it, but it didn't. It came out from by the sun, and they said it's, it's very visible in the in the night sky. So, Wow. So the comet's yeah. out there. Yeah, it's just it's a yeah. cool thing to see a comet. They said it, it can be seen with the naked eye, but it's better if you have a telescope or even binoculars. E- either one of those will bring it a little bit closer, and you can see the tail on it and, and that. So, right. yeah, just like cool seeing that kind of stuff. I saw one a Me few too. years ago, and it was it was pretty good. Oh well, like seventies or eighties, I saw a pretty good one, but uh, I forgot which one that was. Was it the big one? Not yeah, not Hades, might have been. I forgot which one it was. One of the big yeah. name ones. It, it was Haley or what? There's one it. that comes every you know every few years. I I can't think of the name of it. Yeah, you know. but yeah. it's cool. It's cool to yeah. see it and see the tail of it and all that. You know. Yeah, celestial um, events. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now on all about wine. <laughs> now on all about wine. <laughs> Very diverse. Sometimes we do get off topic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We will be back uh, next Thursday. Uh, That's uh, July 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, we will be back again with some more wine news and updates and everything. And uh, thank you all for for tuning in. And if you have any comments or questions uh, about the show or you want to be a guest, uh, you can email allaboutwine101 at gmail.com. Allaboutwine101, that is all one word, at gmail.com. Dot com or visit the website all about wine btr com and uh, there's a link there you can sign up or whatever for information on being a guest and uh links to our past guest so uh thank you all and have a great week be safe and uh we'll see you then thank you yep wear your mask be safe and thanks for listening see you next week This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.